Reporting live while handcuffed to a water pipe in the Holiday Girls' basement, this is Radio Free Themyscira, Episode 2. The nation needs Wonder Woman! On Paradise Island, home of the eternally young and beautiful Amazon. Wonder Woman! Athena, give me strength! Who knows she has the strength of Hercules? But Themyscira! Who knows she has the wisdom of Athena? Princess Diana, the Wonder Woman. Hello, my fellow Manazons and my sister Amazons. Thank you once again for joining us for Radio Free Themyscira, and welcome to Episode 2. Uh, so if all goes well, you should be able to listen to this on the first Wednesday of July. That's going to be our set schedule for the show release, the first Wednesday of every month. And then the uh, second episode, the mini-sode, will release whenever I uh, whenever I get the chance to get it out. <laughs> so in today's episode, we're going to go ahead and finish up our coverage of the Golden Age Wonder Woman adventures. We're going to talk about the first couple of stories of Diana in Man's World and how she uh, kind of sets up her uh, operation for a superheroing during World War II. Uh, then we're going to talk about a few of her key villains from that age. Then we'll take a little break. We'll play a uh, promo for our sister Wonder Woman podcast, Wonder Woman Warrior of Peace. And then we'll talk about what life was like for Wonder Woman after World War II. So uh, let's go ahead and jump on in. Uh, the, the, the sooner we get done with this, the sooner we can jump into the George Perez series, which I'm very excited about. So when we left Wonder Woman in Episode 1, she and Steve Trevor had just left Paradise Island in the Invisible Jet. And Issue 1 of Sensation Comics opens up with Diana and Steve arriving in D.C. just as the day is beginning. Before heading on into the city, Diana hides the Invisible Jet outside of town in an abandoned barn and then rushes Steve in her arms into the city. She quickly finds a hospital and drops the man off. All the nurses are like, hey, well, what's, what's going on? And she's just like, this is Captain Steve Trevor of U.S. Intelligence. He's had a concussion. Okay, thanks, bye. And he runs out of the hospital before they can ask her any more questions. <laughs> uh, once she's out of the hospital, she decides that she's going to explore the new world she's arrived in. Well, by the way, I should point out uh, here that there's a trait of the Golden Age Wonder Woman that later incarnations of Diana do not have. The Golden Age Diana, like all the Amazons of Paradise Island, is uh, greatly skilled in scientific research. There was actually a scene that I left out of episode one that would have talked about this some more. We left it out while we were jumping back and forth between issues in which Diana, when she's desperate to save Steve Trevor's life after the plane crash, and invents a purple healing ray, which is kind of like the uh, dermal regenerator in Star Trek. Basically, it does what's in the name. It's a purple ray that heals people. <laughs> There's actually a lot of issues where uh, Wonder Woman solves her problems by inventing a new potion real fast or using her uh, skills in biology. Basically, the Amazons are pretty big proponents of women in the STEM fields. <laughs> so like any good scientist... Diana wants to explore the new world she's in. She finds it hilarious while window shopping that women in man's world have to use so much material in their outfits. And a great example of, of clashing cultures, the women walking past her on the street are thinking the exact opposite. <laughs> Boy, what a honey. Uh, I bet it's just some old publicity stunt for one of the new moving pictures. If it is, they certainly go to extreme lengths to attract the public eye. Well, they certainly attracted my eye. But her cultural exploration is cut short by the sounds of a bank robbery. Come on, let's get to the car, fast! It's a hold-up! 
Not understanding what's going on, Diana rushes to the scene of the commotion, inadvertently standing between the robbers and their getaway car. What the? It's a dame! Plug her and let's scram out of here. Little do they know, they're about to get a big lesson in bullets and bracelets. Diana still doesn't seem to understand that she's just stopped a crime until the thieves toss their guns and rush her. She clamps her hand around the wrist of one of the thieves, twirls him around in the air, and then slams him into his colleagues like bowling pins. She's delighted at this game. And she stands with one foot on top of the pile of robbers as a policeman shows up to investigate the situation. What's what's going on here? I don't know. I heard someone say, it's a holdup. Goodbye. And with that, Diana starts to rush away. Wait, we, we need to ask you a few questions. Some other time, when I'm on the Quiz Kids program. <laughs> so I actually had to do a little bit of Googling around to figure out what that joke meant. Uh, it turns out that the Quiz Kids was a uh, television show in the 1940s in which kids 15 and below could come on the show and answer trivia questions for prizes. Now, how would an Amazon princess from a faraway magical island who's just arrived in the outside world for the first time know anything about a Chicago-based kid show? Oh, well, I have a little fan theory about that. See, I, I can just imagine young Diana sneaking through the Amazon royal palace, softly tiptoeing past her mother's room, making sure the queen is asleep, and then once she's in the throne room, uh, resetting Hippolyta's magic sphere that she used in the first episode to set the dials so she can watch uh, Saturday morning kids programs from man's world. <laughs> As Diana flees the crime scene, one of the bystanders jumps in his car and speeds up to catch up with her. Seeing that she's being pursued, the princess runs even faster, so the man in the car has his pedal to the floor trying to reach her. Once he hits 80 miles per hour, he calls out to her and gets her attention. Finally, she stops and listens to what he has to say. He explains that his name is Al Kale, and he's a talent agent who would love to put her bullets and bracelets show on stage. He does concede that she will need money in this world as she waits for Steve Trevor to get out of the hospital, so she agrees to do the show. The show is a huge success, and the newspaper gives her her new name in Man's World. Bullets go to waste on Wonder Woman. Three weeks later, while she's checking out the headlines to talk about her, Diana f discovers that Steve Trevor's doing well and is finally awake. Diana tells Kale that she's going to need her half of the money taken in from the show and that she's going to have to go ahead and leave. Kale realizes that he has not signed a contract with Diana and thus has no way to legally make her stay. So he concedes and starts to get her money from his office safe. But then Greed takes over and he darts away with both of their winnings down the stairs to his car. Diana looks out the window and sees him fleeing. She simply shakes her head and then casually jumps out the window to the pavement two stories below. As he starts to start his car, Diana lifts up the back bumper, keeping the back two wheels off the street. So fun thing, uh, in the pilot for the Linda Carter TV show, they have a similar scene where Wonder Woman stops a car by lifting up the back wheels. And in the Marvel Netflix TV show, uh, Jessica Jones, which is also about a super strong lady, they do the same joke. Uh, so I really hope that that parallel is deliberate. Anyway, uh, having enough of this foolishness, Diana pulls Kale out of the car and tosses him up onto a utility pole. 
Remembering to be the honest person in this situation, Diana takes only her half of the money and leaves his in the car. As Diana arrives at the hospital, she notices a nurse sobbing on the front steps. Even though she's in a hurry, Diana stops to see if the woman is okay. The woman, named Diana Prince, explained that she's crying because her fiancé has found a job in South America, but the couple doesn't have the funds for them both to live there. Wonder Woman thinks of a brilliant plan to help them both. Removing Diana's glasses, she finds that the two Dianas look nearly identical. Princess Diana makes an offer Diana Prince to buy her identity and her nursing credentials off of her with her bullets and bracelets winnings. That way, Diana Prince can go be with her fiancé, while Princess Diana uses her name and her Amazonian medical training, because remember, she's a scientist, to pose as Steve's army nurse. The two agree and leave to be with the men that they love. The newly named nurse Diana Prince heads on into the hospital in her new disguise and makes her way to Steve Trevor's room to find him talking in his sleep. An angel! A, a beautiful angel! Diana is delighted when she realizes that Steve Trevor remembers seeing her in the plane. Oh, Captain Trevor, you flatter me. I'm no angel, it's just me, Diana Prince, your special nurse. Nurse Diana leaves him the paper and then leaves to get some more supplies. While she's gone, Steve reads in the paper that a Nazi plan to attack the U.S. with chemical weapons has been uncovered, but U.S. intelligence has had no luck locating their base of operations. Once again, unable to resist the call of duty, Trevor throws on his clothes and sneaks out to head for the nearest army base. Diana is scolded by the doctor when it's, whenever it is discovered that Trevor is missing, but she has no time for this and rushes out of town to, to her hidden jet, where she changes in, into Wonder Woman to find Steve. It doesn't take her very long to find him, and then she has to save him after he's forced to ram the plane he is flying in into a Nazi superplane. For those of you keeping track at home, that's the second time that Diana has had to save Steve Trevor within the last two issues. Diana also manages to pluck the Nazi pilot out of the sky as he falls from his plane's wreckage. And this is where the story gets a little lazy, though. It's almost like Marsden had uh, set up the Diana Prince dynamic, um, that she's his nurse, and now he just wanted to get the story over with. Unfortunately, the Nazi dies of his injuries before Diana can get the lasso around him. Fortunately, Diana explains that she had her mother look up the location of the base in her magic sphere before she left Paradise Island. Yeah, they're, they're just trying to wrap up the story now. Um, why not? Why, why have that happen? Why not just have her lasso the, uh, the Nazi pilot before he died and force him with the lasso's magic to tell them where the base is? You can't really nitpick with the Golden Age stuff. You just kind of have to uh, take it as you find it, you know? So Steve and Diana jet to the location of the secret base, where they make short work, work of the guards. Trevor pulls his gun while Diana protects him from gunfire. He shoots a store of chemicals kept in the lab, and the entire lab explodes. Once the smoke clears, Diana begins to dig through the debris to find Steve. Once she finds him, she asks him very matter-of-factly why he didn't just leap free of the explosion like she did. <laughs> yeah, Diana is still learning about how uh, fragile mortal men actually are compared to an Amazon. <laughs> so she finds that his leg is broken, so she drags him back to the jet and flies him back into the hospital. The story ends with Trevor raving about the beautiful angel Wonder Woman who saved him so many times already. 
Nurse Diana scoffs at his crush and tells him that he won't need Wonder Woman as long as she's there. Steve remarks that Diana's great, but mm, she's no Wonder Woman. Diana laughs inwardly that she cannot wait to tell her mother how she's found a place in the world, and as her own romantic rival at that. <laughs> so Sensation Comics number two is going to wrap up the uh, what you might call the origin trilogy of Wonder Woman, as it uh, introduces the last component of Wonder Woman's posse, and quite frankly, uh, one of my favorite parts of it. So we open back at the hospital where the newly named Diana Prince is taking care of the uh, once again injured Steve and Trevor when two military intelligence officers show up and demand to take Steve back with them, claiming he's needed to identify some suspected spies. Dana doesn't need her lasso to know something is up and argues that as Steve Trevor's nurse, she cannot allow him to be moved. The colonels refuse to argue with her and, ab and abduct them both, barely giving the nurse time to grab her medical bag. They're taken to a waiting ambulance, and they're tied up in a manner that clearly shows the difference in male and female bondage in these books. Steve is just strapped to a cot in the back, more like they're more worried about him uh, rolling off than him escaping, while Diana's thrown on her stomach with her legs and arms pulled up behind her back and hogtied. <laughs> the ambulance is soon let through the gates of a southern manor where Diana and Steve are taken to a constantly smiling figure dressed head-to-toe in a green smock. This is Dr. Poison, chief of the Axis Powers Poison Division. The doctor has been assigned to discover what information the U.S. intelligence agency knows about the Nazi spies planted in the government. Dr. Poison takes Trevor and Diana to a lab and begins the interrogation of the captain. The doctor demands that Nurse Prince offer assistance and orders her to sterilize a syringe of truth serum. Thinking quickly, Diana switches the syringe of truth serum with a vial of harmless saline solution that she had in her bag. She communicates to Steve her plan as she injects him with the harmless solution. While Steve Trevor is giving Dr. Poison fake information, Diana pretends to be having a breakdown, crying and begging for the doctor to let them go. The doctor orders the guards to take the nurse back to her cell, where, she's where she is once again hogtied. That's twice in three pages, guys. As soon as she's alone, Diana breaks free of her bindings. They should have used chains, she laughs. Would be more fun breaking them. She then puts on her Wonder Woman costume that she had stuffed at the bottom of her medical bag. Soon she's, she's assessed the situation and finds that there's no way to break Steve out without risking him being killed by Dr. Poison. So Diana decides that she's going to need some help. She makes her way down to the mansion's garage and steals a car. And she peels out of the garage, driving right through the doors, standing up and driving with one hand while blocking bullets with a bracelet on her other hand. We see that Diana is going to get no help from the army soon, though, as we cut to nearby base as Dr. Poison explains the plan that's been put into place. See, Dr. Poison explains that a neurological drug has been leaked into the water supply of the nearby base. This drug makes anyone affected do the exact opposite of whatever they are told. This leads to some bizarre happenings at the base, as soldiers who are told to keep their feet on the ground stand on their heads, and as the story comes very close to being a very different kind of comic, a troop told to dress ranks and halt, strip themselves of their clothing, and rush their commanding officer. The base leaders can't figure out what's going on, but they are, 
but they do figure out enough at least to lead the troops back to their barracks, where at least they won't be any danger to themselves or others. Though the situation is partially under control, Diana still needs help, so she tries the nearest place she can think of, the Holiday College for Women. Diana recalls that she had become very good friends with a petite girl named Etta Candy while she was in the hospital having her appendix removed. Diana finds her, but not as all as she expected. Etta Candy is no longer the tiny girl recovering the hospital, but now is a robust, excitable college girl leading the college band. Wonder Woman explains to Etta that she's a friend of Diana's, but whenever Diana talked about Etta, she had talked about a thin girl. Etta Candy quickly explains that she could really care less about your ideas of what the female body should be, but that she'd be happy to do anything for a friend of Diana's. Diana explains the situation to Etta and the other holiday girls who are there for band practice, and all of them agree that they would love to help Wonder Woman take down some Nazis. Now, the holiday girls are awesome. They are just this fearless troop of sorority girls who Wonder Woman has helping her out on all kinds of crazy adventures. And uh, over time, Diana trains them in the ways of the Amazons so that they become this awesome female fighting force. It kind of stinks, though. They get left out a lot of the times in the uh, modern Wonder Woman comics, though uh, Phil break me off a piece of that. Jimenez did uh, have a little reference to them during a time travel story to World War II. So Diana and Etta concoct a plan to lead the marching band into the Nazi base. The Holiday Girls, led by Etta Candy with Wonder Woman in their ranks, show up marching along playing their music. And the Nazis won't shoot the girls. They're, after all, they're just a bunch of beautiful women who couldn't possibly pose a threat. In fact, the women and the Nazis soon begin an informal community dance once inside the mansion. Diana sneaks away and breaks Steve Trevor out as Etta and the Holiday Girls suddenly turn on their dance partners, subduing them with handcuffs that they've hidden in their instruments. Diana then runs after the fleeing Dr. Poison. Catching hold of the doctor's smock, she rips it away to reveal a beautiful woman under the mask. The exposed woman cries out that she is Princess Maru of Japan and her science will destroy America. She pulls a gun on Diana and fires, but... Of course, Diana deflects the bullets, and Etta hustles in the room, and Lyman tackles Princess Maru. And now, because Marston just can't help himself, he takes this moment to make things weird. <laughs> Wonder Woman demands that Maru tell them how to reverse the drug that's poisoned the military, or she and Etta will strip her of her clothing and force her to march all the way down to Washington, barefoot and naked. Faced with such humiliation, Maru gives Wonder Woman formula to neutralize the drug, while Etta paddles her behind, chasing her into a locked cage. <laughs> with the Nazis defeated and the drug ne neutralized, Wonder Woman returns Steve to the hospital and resumes her role as Nurse Diana, watching as Trevor insists all the thanks belong to Wonder Woman once again. So Dr. Poison is the first recurring Wonder Woman villain that we meet, and it's interesting to see the parallels between Princess Diana and Princess Maru. Both are princesses, and they're both trained in the sciences, and they both possess ways of discovering truth in uh, very, uh, very different ways, though. Dr. Poison is also the first of several gender-bending villains that we meet in Wonder Woman, though Actually, in Poison's case, it may be argued that her gender just was never mentioned, and so we just defaulted to assume that she was male. Um, the two other villains that do this, uh, one was the Blue Snowman, 
who was a villain uh, who wore this giant bulky snowman suit, which had ice powers. And when she was in the snowman persona, she always was identified by male pronouns. Um, another one was Hypnata, the hypnotic woman. Uh, like her name says, she had uh, hypnosis powers. Even though she identified as female, she dressed like a man and even wore a prosthetic mustache. Though probably one of the most iconic and deadly of uh, the Golden Age villains of Wonder Woman was Priscilla Rich, the cheetah. Uh, there's not a lot to explain about the cheetah, really. Um, and But oddly enough, most of the things about her are the same as uh, the Golden Age Catwoman. So Priscilla Rich was a rich socialite with a severe inferiority complex. Her jealousy overwhelms her whenever Wonder Woman gets the attention she was hoping for at a charity auction. This jealousy manifests itself as a second personality, the cheetah. The cheetah sabotages the escaped artist act that Wonder Woman is performing for the charity by slipping Diana's magic lasso into the chains that she's about to be bound with. Diana is able to use her teeth to break out still and ends up going on a date with a man that Priscilla had her eye on. Defeated, Priscilla stumbles home and collapses in front of her vanity mirror, waking up to not her own reflection, but that of the cheetah, who instructs her how to make herself a cheetah costume from a cheetah skin rug that she has in her bedroom. Priscilla, as the cheetah, concocts this really elaborate plan in which she steals the charity money from the night before and frames uh, Wonder Woman and the man that Cheetah had wanted to go on a date with that Wonder Woman went on a date with for stealing the money. She then bails them out of jail and leaves them a note to meet her at a grain silo in which she uh, traps them both and sets it on fire. Uh, Wonder Woman, of course, escapes uh, and saves her date as well. But the cheetah escapes to go on to be one of Wonder Woman's most recognizable villains. So yeah, uh, like Catwoman, Cheetah has no powers, but is extremely athletic and agile. Uh, Wonder Woman at one point tries to convince the cheetah to give up her life of crime and use her athletic abilities to entertain people as a beautiful dancer. <laughs> now the cheetah may have been the most deadly but the most dangerous of Wonder Woman's Golden Age villains, and my personal favorite, is the Baroness Von Gunther, who is the spy master of the Nazi army, uh, kind of the counterpart to Steve Trevor in the U.S. Intelligence Agency. She's a brilliant scientist and inventor, and has concocted all kinds of nefarious plans to take down Wonder Woman and the U.S. Army, everything from the ability to make things invisible, and one of her most often used skills psychological reprogramming. Once she even used hypnosis and brainwashing to convince Steve Trevor to work for the Nazis. And quite often she will employ a troop of brainwashed kidnapped women from around the world to do her dirty work. Once during the Amazon holiday of Diana's day, she led the Japanese army on a, in an attack on Paradise Island. Everything came to a head though one day after Gunther shows no remorse after almost driving over a child that was teaching Diana to sled. Wonder Woman furiously chased her down and captured the Baroness. And I love this part. Uh, whenever captured, Diana confiscates a fountain pen that's actually an automatic pistol, a pencil bomb, a poison lip balm stick, and knockout cough drops. The spy master Von Gunther's arsenal of equipment puts Batman and James Bonds to shame. <laughs> 
Now here's something that sets Wonder Woman apart from other wartime heroes. Diana almost always tries to reason with her villains, and if that, that doesn't work, then she'll fight. If they're women, Diana will take them back to be back to part of the Paradise Island archipelago called Reformation Island. Unlike Batman and Superman, whose bad guys either end up in jail or dead, Wonder Woman does her best to rehabilitate them. Of course, with Batman, there, there later on will be uh, Arkham Asylum, but who, really, who has any confidence for that place anymore? I mean, it's practically become a recruiting station for Gotham villains. So on Reformation Island, through a combination of psychological analysis and the miracles of loving domination, uh, Wonder Woman's villains are reformed to be helpful members of society and brilliant examples of what women could be. At Reformation Island, Wonder Woman works with Paula to get to the root of why she is so evil. Paula claims that she hates children and would gladly have run over the little boy Diana was playing with. Under the lasso's control, however, Von Gunther tells a very different story. She doesn't hate children. She just misses her own. Paula explains that before the Germans invaded Austria, she and her husband, Baron Von Gunther, were good and wealthy scientists with a, with a lovely daughter named Goethe. When the Nazis demanded that the Baron work for them, he willingly died rather than help them. But when they demanded Paula work for them, she would have gladly died too, but it wasn't her life they endangered, it was Goethe's. That, Paula explains, is why she works for the Nazis. Wonder Woman sees the suffering that her former nemesis is going through and is determined to help. So she calls up Etta Candy and tells her to suit up. We're going to go rescue some kids from the Nazis. Etta is ready immediately because that's the kind of friend Etta is. She even brings chocolate snacks with her. So Etta and Wonder Woman make their way to Nazi Germany in the visible jet. They disable the sentries around the camp the kids are held in. Diana getting the jump on them, and then Etta stuffing their mouths with candy to keep them quiet. Then Etta stays in the invisible jet, keeping watch, while Diana searches the camp for the barracks that the children might be in. Whenever she does find them, she finds the kids have been horribly abused and mistreated, which distracts Wonder Woman long enough for the Nazis to come in and take her captive. The Nazis bind Diana in a tiny electrical fence without room for her to even move or sit. So she sends a message to the telepathic radio in the jet for Etta to, cu to cut the power lines coming from the camp's power plant. Etta does so, tossing candies around to distract the guards and then climbing up a utility pole with a pair of scissors. Once the power is out, Diana breaks free of the tiny cage and saves the children from the barracks. To protect the children, Wonder Woman commandeers a Nazi tank and after loading them safely into it, carries the bulletproof tank back out of the camp and to the invisible jet. Once back in the States, Goethe and Paula are reunited and the other children are taken to find homes. Paula does still have to stand trial for her war crimes, but after she is horribly disfigured while disfusing a Nazi bomb meant to cripple U.S. industries, the jury releases her to Wonder Woman's custody. Back on Paradise Island, Hippolyta is able to use Amazon science to restore Paula's beauty, and she becomes one of Wonder Woman's most trusted allies. A brilliant scientist, Paula builds many inventions for Diana to use on her adventures, like a working time machine, and she even upgrades the purple healing ray to prolong life and occasionally even resurrect the recently dead. Alright, so that's just about it for the Golden Age of Comics. 
Um, in our next episode, we're going to jump into the Silver Age, in which Wonder Woman gets a new origin and a new writer after William Marston, Milton Marston's death. And things, well, things get bad for a while for Wonder Woman. <laughs> Fortunately, the Wonder Woman in the Silver Age is technically not the same Wonder Woman that we've been talking about all this time. You see, by the late 1950s, the only superheroes DC had left being published were Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman. The others, like Green Lantern and The Flash, their comics had uh, slowly died out as superheroes became less and less popular. Fortunately, in the late 50s and early 60s, superheroes tra- started to become popular once again. And in the next episode, we'll talk a little bit about the decline and then rise of superheroes. Uh, so what DC did was, instead of just resurrecting their old characters, they made up new characters with the same names and power sets, but with a new uh, 1960s Atomic Age twist. For instance, the original Flash, Jay Garrick, got his powers after drinking hard water. <laughs> when the new Flash was a scientist who was struck by a shelf full of chemicals that had been hit by lightning. Or a very good example, the original Adam was just a diminutive man who had a uh, really strong punch. But the new Adam was a scientist, Ray Palmer, who had created a belt that allowed him to shrink down to microscopic size. Now, fortunately, that doesn't that didn't mean that DC just did away entirely with the World War II versions of all the characters. They all still lived on, it turned out. This was discovered whenever the new Flash, Barry Allen, uh, basically ran so fast that he was able to punch through the barrier between the new superheroes world and the World War II superheroes world, uh, known as Earth-1 for the new characters and Earth-2 for the original characters. This allowed the World War II original superheroes to grow on and uh, settle down with their families. Wonder Woman in particular returned to Paradise Island and finally married Steve Trevor. And Paula Von Gunther used the uh, used her improved healing ray to extend his life, which made his normal human lifespan match up a little bit more with Diana's improved Amazonian lifespan. The two of them even had a daughter who they named after Diana's mother, Lita Trevor. And she grew up to call herself Fury after the Greek spirits of vengeance, and she joined a group of young superheroes and the uh, and the grown children of retired superheroes called Infinity Inc. And personally, I feel like this was a really nice thing for the DC writers to do. Uh, for one thing, they didn't have to just do away with the legacy of all the World War II heroes. And I'm sure it really felt nice for the people who uh, had grown up on these superheroes, relying on them to you know, keep the morale up during the war, that these characters had, you know, got to grow up too, and just like their readers did. Unfortunately, things for the Earth-1 Wonder Woman, the Silver Age Wonder Woman, aren't going to go quite as nice and uh, smoothly as the World War II Diana. But we're going to talk about more about that next whenever we go through several bizarre reboots for wonder woman as we get closer and closer to the george perez series so like i said that's probably be all that we talk about with the golden age comics but if you're uh, craving some more of that golden age goodness and that that wacky world war ii comics feel i highly suggest that you check out our sister podcast wonder woman warrior of peace once a month it's host angela uh will go through uh 
comic by comic of each of the Wonder Woman series and give a, uh, a raw reading of it and a review. So, like, what we're doing here at Radio Free Themyscira is more of a uh, broader view of the franchise story by story. What she is doing is going through issue by issue with a fine comb. It's a very different method that she's using for her show, and uh, I really do suggest it, though. it's She's doing a lot of really good work over there. So here's the promo for Wonder Woman, Warrior of Peace. Beautiful as Aphrodite. Wise as Athena. Stronger than Hercules. Swifter than Mercury. Explore the 75-year history of the Amazon princess with Wonder Woman, Warrior for Peace, a monthly podcast available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at wonderwomanwarriorforpeace.wordpress.com. All right, so that's all we got today. Uh, Thank you guys very much for joining me. Um, keep an eye out. For the next several weeks, we should have a mini-soap out. Uh, this next coming mini-soap will probably be either our first Wonder Women of History episode or a Myth Information episode in which we'll uh, have a little introduction to the Greek gods as they're going to be appearing in uh, the George Perez series whenever we jump into that. All right, so everybody have a good week. And may Athena's gray eyes look upon you and bless you with her eternal wisdom. Thank you.